the Madison Story Slam podcast, and I am your host, Adam Rosted. Right at the top of the show, we're going to thank a couple sponsors who sponsored our last storytelling event that you'll be hearing on this episode. First, we've got Upshift on Johnson Street, which is a women's clothing exchange boutique. You can bring in a bag of your old clothes, pay $20, and leave with up to three bags of new-to-you clothes. That's right, you can get a whole new wardrobe for only $20. And guess what, listeners? If you mention Madison Story Slam, they'll give you $5 off. So that's only $15 to fill your closet with brand new to you clothes. And then also we wanted to thank Glass Nickel Pizza West. They provided our winning story with a gift certificate. Um, Our theme tonight is Worst Job, so get prepared to hear about food service and sales and things like that. Come to our Story Slam next month at the Wilmar Center, the 21st of March. Our theme then will be Childhood Memories. Okay, so worst job. Um, I have been a lucky American and have always had great jobs. It's untrue. Uh, if you are a regular at Story Slam, you've probably heard me talk about my time working for a vending company in Madison. This is the worst job that I've ever had. I counted their money for them in their vault, uh, literally counting a dollar bill at a time or a quarter at a time. Uh, Ten hours a day standing in a concrete and steel vault. Um, it was soul-drenching. It might as well have been just socks, you know? Like, if you're counting your own money, it's, like, kind of fun. It's like, oh, hey, the, even if it's just $10, like, I got $10. I was counting, like, $60,000 a day that I just had to just move along on the conveyor belt, basically. So it might as well have just been socks. Uh, it was terrible. I lasted about a month and a half there. Uh, got really sick. Uh, woke, up one, woke up one morning uh, spitting blood couldn't swallow and and that was the thing as soon as i started working there i started getting sick all the time i'm not i'm not the kind of guy that gets sick but i you know figured i'm touching all this dirty money that's probably what's getting me sick so i stayed home from work for like two days and then uh um i found out i had strep so i was gone from work for like a week and uh, the day that I was able to go back to work, I called my boss and said, I'm not coming back. <laughs> I would just, like, the week off of work just felt good, and I was like, I just, I hate this. Uh, so that is my worst job. Tony, you're up. You were the third one to sign up. So everybody, this is Tony Wood. Give it up for him. Thank you. Your third choice. Welcome to Fight Club. Um, Worst jobs. Uh, I met my wife in 1988, and when we had a discussion about jobs that I've had, and we figured out at that point that I had roughly two dozen jobs between the ages of 12 and 28 years old. Probably all of them were really bad, or I would have kept one a lot longer. Um, When I was 12, I worked on a sod farm rolling sod in the summer sun for 75 cents an hour. I worked in a paneled room as a telemarketer with no ventilation, with chain-smoking middle-aged women, and I sold over the phone re- replacement light bulbs for microfiche machines to Harley-Davidson dealerships on the West Coast. <clears throat> I actually thought of applying for a job that I saw posted that said, people wanted to clean toxic waste, must supply own hazmat suit. And I thought I'd just run down to Target to the men's section and get a hazmat suit. They come in a variety of colors. So, um, but the worst job I had um, 
won't sound like it till I get to the middle of the story, and then you'll realize, yeah, that was a pretty bad job. Um, in 1984, I was out of work for about two months. Um, I just graduated film school, and I couldn't find work, which is surprising in the burgeoning film industry of Milwaukee. <laughs> I couldn't find work, and I don't know if you, any of you have ever been in this position where you're out of work so long, you just start to draw this mental line in the sand, and you go, this is it. I cannot do this anymore. I, 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 I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to be the best employee that they've ever had. I am going to be to work early, and, and I'm going to get a bank account, and I'm not going to have a, a, a cigar box in the drawer of my dresser. I'm going to have a car that will start, but I won't have to start it by pushing it down a hill and popping the clutch. I could go to dinner with my girlfriend to a restaurant that doesn't have a drive through window, and I'll pay. I am going to be the best employee in the next job I have. I will be employee of the month for every month that I am working there. I am sick of this. I'm, I'm not going to go to in the, in the morning drunk or hungover ever again. So, so I, I, I get the Sunday newspaper. Uh, we had this thing called newspapers back in the day. We didn't have Craigslist. We, we, I went down to the store and I bought the Sunday paper, which was like that thick. And I paged through it, and I actually found the job that I wanted. It was help wanted for sales in a professional camera store in downtown Milwaukee. And it was a great store because I used to shop there when I went to film school. And I thought, this is the job. This is the, this is the sign from God telling me that this is the job that I'm going to get serious about and be employee of the month. So I put on a shirt and a tie. Uh, well, first I called them, and a nice woman named Linda asked me my experience, and I told her I had experience working retail while I was in school in a department store, and I did sell cameras. I had retail experience. So she said, come on in tomorrow at 10 for an interview. So I put on a shirt and tie, took the bus down there. I was there 10 minutes early, and she greets me, and I'm looking around the store feeling, really, I'm going to impress everybody on this interview. And she says to me, Sid will be out in a couple of minutes. Sid was the owner of the store. Um, and he came shuffling out of his office a few minutes later. He was, the, he was the most horrible, crude, rude old man. He was probably around 80 years old. He was about as tall as me and thick everywhere. He had thick body and thick fingers. He had a thick nose and thick glasses. And he moved incredibly slowly. Everything he did was slow. And he was hard of hearing. I'm not going to hold that against him being hard of hearing. It just made it frustrating to talk with him. But he came out and he said, So you want to sell cameras here? And I said, yes. I'm like, huh? Yes, I would very much like to sell cameras. Do you have experience? Yes, I do. I worked in a retail, huh? I worked in a retail store, and I had sold cameras there. All right, Joe, let me show you the store. So he shows me around the store. It's a big open floor plan in this very beautiful old 1940s building on the second floor. So it's nice and open with these big square pillars that are sort of placed periodically throughout to hold the ceiling up. And they had cameras behind counters here. They had jewelry. They had dinnerware. They had luggage. They had all kinds of stuff. And he gets to the back of the store eventually and says, this is the employee entrance. 
this is where you come in in the morning. I don't want to see your ass through those front doors ever. You never come through that door. You come through the door in the back. I said, yes, I Huh? Yes, I understand. So he writes down my phone number. And I leave, and I thought, well, that didn't go so bad. So I'm crossing my fingers for two days. I'm thinking, this is going to be it. This will be the job. It's a great store. I know cameras. I'm going to make a lot of money. Commission, employee of the month will be mine. So I get a phone call the next day, and it's Linda, and she says, you're hired? Yes. And can you start tomorrow? And I said, yes, I can. And I went out, and I got a new shirt and tie, and I got my shoes shined. I wore a belt. And and I took the bus down, and I got there a half hour early. And I went through the hallway to the employee entrance. That would have been the back of the store. So I knock on the door, and the door opens, and it's a little storeroom, and there's the, the, the camera department manager's name was RJ. He was this emaciated little fellow. He, he, he looked like an Auschwitz survivor with a short sleeve shirt and a tie, basically. He was just this tiny little man. And he said, oh, you're, you're the new fella. You're Tony. And I said, yes, I am. I am the new employee. It is so great to be here. I'm so excited about this opportunity to be working for this business. He said, well, you know, normally people just show up like five minutes early. You didn't have to be this early. Well, you know, it's my first day. I think I'd like to get out into the store and look around, take a look at the inventory, you know, see everything, kind of get to know it before I start. He said, sure, that's a good idea. Go ahead. So I cut through this little storeroom, through another door, out into the store. Now, the store is dark, except for the glowing lights of the display cases, but the overhead lights are out. And I can hear Sid at the front of the store speaking in sort of low hushed tone, so I hear, so I figure, I'm going to go say hi to the boss on my first day of work, shake his hand, thank him for this opportunity that he gave me, and he will not regret giving me this job. So I get about halfway to the front of the store, and I realize that the low hush tones that Sid is making are the noises of an 80-year-old man in the throes of sexual pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So I quickly hide behind one of the pillars in the store. That's why I explained the layout to you. Now, I'm like 20 feet from him, but he doesn't see me. So I peek around. There's a luggage rack here, and it's the pillar, and I can see that Sid is having phone sex in the store behind the counter with the store phone the phone that the salespeople have to answer when customers call yeah yeah now I realize standing there I'm trapped because if I try to leave he's going to see me so I have to wait for him to finish. Yeah. Did I tell you he moved very slowly? Now, here's the hard part. The shit that came out of this old man's mouth was some of the most dark, violent, sadistic, sadomasochistic, misogynistic stuff 
I've ever heard and have ever heard in my life. I, 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 I still wake up with nightmares sometimes listening to this stuff. It was like it was like listening to the soundtrack to a snuff film almost. The things he wanted to do to this poor woman on the other end of the line for his sexual pleasure. Who this poor woman is probably like a single mom in an apartment in Columbus somewhere going, "You want to what?" <laughs> And all the time I'm going, oh, God, why are you doing this? This is my first day of work. God, why did you? I just wanted a nice car. I just I wanted, I want to take my girlfriend to a nice restaurant. This is all I wanted on my first day. And, and I heard this little, this little child's voice in the back of my head say, Tony, I don't think we can be employee of the month here. <laughs> So he finishes, and I hear like zip, buckle, buckle, and he goes like shuffling back into his room. And I run, like I sprint back to that employee room and slam the door. I sit down at this little table. I'm white as a sheet. I'm sweating profusely. I'm, I, I might have PTSD. I'm not sure. And RJ comes strolling up and says, did you see everything you needed to? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, I pretty much saw everything I really needed to see. I worked there for over a year. Um, Every day I had to see Sid and just imagine those words, those horrible, horrible things that he was saying every time I had to deal with them. And I answered that damn phone at least six times a day. And every time it rang, I used to think to myself, I should have bought the hazmat suit. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Real quick, I'm just going to adjust this speaker here. Um, our next storyteller is somebody who I love deeply. We share a special bond, uh, and that is that we're bearded. And uh, he, every time he's told a story, uh, I have laughed my butt off. So everybody here, give it up for Chris Lay. Thank you very much. Uh, these aren't regulation, I don't think. It's not. Okay. Um, so a lot of the stories tonight that might, I mean, it might be like people's first jobs out of college. You kind of you suck it up, you take the hit. And out of college, I applied in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was living, to be a high school librarian assistant at a public school. I didn't get that job. I wouldn't interviewed for it. They didn't want me. But once you're in the system, your application just bounces around. And because I was a man, I ended up as a first grade teaching assistant. Because apparently they need men. That's like a thing so many people told me, like, oh, it's good to have a big, strong man there. And I'm just like, I'm surrounded by these tiny, I don't want this at all. I could step on any road. This isn't good. And honestly, it was it was a pretty cool job, to be honest. But I, it ended up with me realizing this had the most powerfully terrible possible thing that could happen to me. I mean, no, it's not that. Don't don't think that. It's not it's not that bad. Don't worry. Um, 
one of the things I realized was that there are good teachers and there are shitty teachers. I luckily worked with a good teacher who knew how to marshal the room, how to use, you know, positive reinforcement, how to, you know, charm the children and, you know, use, you know, compliments and build them up. And then every now and again, if she was sick, they would have me substitute, and apparently I learned none of that from her. (laughs) One of the things I learned is that you get to yell at a room full of children at the top of your voice once. Like, once you've played that card, you don't get to play it again. Like, it freaks them out once, and then that's all you get. They know when you've hit your peak. Yeah, totally. Yeah. See, he's vouching for it. And I also realized I yelled at a room full of children because they weren't getting into a straight line. <laughs> it was the whole reason it was, how many times do I have to tell you and just like, just top of the voice, just all that. And then it was just like, oh, I did that. I felt terrible about it. Now, I also realized I, I was... I like validation, and I started to kind of get like a like a little bit of like whenever like a you know a six year old says like you're cool, Mr. Lay, and I'm just like yeah, I am. Like, <laughs> like you don't you don't even know what cool things really are. Like I don't, and yet you think I'm cool. <laughs> and I was like, well, that that can't be good. That can't be good for like the whole thing. But I I also I hate like getting in trouble with people. Like, when I was in school, when I was younger, every now and again, like, I get in trouble, and you hear your name called on the big box on the wall. It's like, would Chris Lay please report to the office? And you can tell in the tone of the principal or vice principal's voice, like, you know what you did. Like, that's the implication, and you always do. So there was one kid I didn't like very much. He was just, he was like, the, like really athletic, and all the kids kind of looked up to him, but he had this like real attitude about it. And I, I just, I, I didn't like him because he was just kind of just a piece of shit. And <laughs> but his mom worked at the school. She helped like the special needs students. She was like a nurse's assistant or something for that. And so there was one day where I was out on the playground with these kids, watching them by myself, and he, I don't want to say his name, I, I kind of forget, Christian, let's just say Christian, I don't know, that sounds, um, he was being a piece of shit, like he was just like being very, like rough housey, pulling kids off, like the stuff, and I was just like, you need to sit down and do time out if you can't get it together, I said this like a handful of times, and then he wouldn't listen, and then I flipped out and like made him sit down and like yelled like in his face to sit down and chill out. And this is outside. And his mom, I found out later, walked past as I'm just like unloading in her kid's face, just fucking like just. And instead of her coming over, I mean, it's it's kind of charming that she restrained herself. She didn't do anything and come over to me, but she went to the principal. And so then, as a grown man of legal drinking age, I heard my name on that box on the wall again. And it was just automatically like, oh, I know what I did. No, it was wrong. I don't like the fact that I did it any more than anyone. And
And so it was me then kind of like walking in, vice principal. Because the vice principal always handles this shit. Like, you never actually deal with the principal. She's off doing, you know, she's off doing whatever. Like, it's always the vice principal has to deal with, like, the problem things. And so it's me, the vice principal, and this kid's mom. <laughs> and I just, me just going, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. I never happened again. Mm-mm, nope. And never happened again because they moved me to being a the library assistant of the elementary school. So I didn't have to deal with that, like, actually, like, watching kids directly like that anymore, which is great. Awesome. The whole thing kind of comes back around when, like, this kid, there was one day where I was on, like, hall duty in the morning, and, like, I was stationed, like, to kind of make sure the kids didn't run, didn't push, shove, start fights, whatever, and where I was stationed was directly across from, like, the boys' restroom, and there was one day where I'm on hall duty, and this Christian, made-up name, I just hear him inside, and he's just, Mr. Lay! Mr. Lay! And he comes out, he's pissed his pants, and they're like, he's like kind of waddling, they're like around his like ankles, and I'm like, I can't handle this at all. Like, I, like, hands in the air. Like, I'm not, like, I'm just immediately going to grab, like, another adult and just be like, I, no, this is not happening at all. But the thought in my head of like, yeah, that's what you get. Like, that's the... What about then that I was like, I can't do this. This is not the job for me. I, I need to move along to a different gig. And I did. And that's, there you go. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Uh, hey, Chris, um, when uh, when they called you as a legal, uh, an adult of legal drinking age, when they called you to the office that time, was it Mr. Lay? Please report to the office. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's really embarrassing. Kids always want to know, like, what your first name is. Yeah. It's like they got some, like, leverage on you. That's right. For some reason. That's right. Uh, our next storyteller has told stories about, uh, I think, crashing his bicycle. Uh, was that was that the one what that story was about? Crashing his bicycle. He's also told stories about being a Boy Scout and uh, having an accident uh, while being a 16-year-old Boy Scout on a camping trip. Uh, if you've heard his stories, you know they're great. Everybody give a round of applause for James Farley. Hey there. Um, oh, I see one of my friends just showed up. That's very nice. It was good timing. Um, so I, uh, I am a, a person who has never really had a terrible job um, I've, I've been very lucky in that regard. Um, so when I heard that the topic tonight... Step, step out a little yeah, bit. Go. Okay. Um, so when the topic tonight was worst jobs, I didn't know what I would talk about. So I just thought I would talk about a job that I thought was awful when I had it, but it really wasn't. Um, so I got out of, uh, of college my freshman year, and I went home for the summer. And um, it was my first job ever. Um, this is my first job. I, I was kind of a spoiled kind of petulant little shit. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I just had never worked a day in my life. Um, 
the thing that got me wanting to work was um, I <laughs> I owned a lot of video games, but I didn't own enough. Um, I wanted money for more. <laughs> um, so I applied at a temp agency, and I got a job at a at a company that uh, manufactured radios for 911 call centers. Um, so my job was to to pretty much do whatever the engineers told me to do, um, which was mostly put radios onto racks and drill them into place, or organize cords, or just whatever random things um, needed to happen. Um, so I'm just, I, I guess I'm just going to illustrate how um, how unworldly I was, and I'm just going to talk about the things that I thought were awful. Um, I had to be at work at 6.30 every morning, and I had to stay there for, for nine whole hours with an hour lunch and a half hour worth of breaks. Um... <laughs> Um, there, there was no place to sit, um, and that was terrible because I, because because they made me wear steel-toed boots, um, and it was awful. Um, another problem there was 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 the was the boring tasks they made me do. So. Um, there wasn't enough work for all the temps to do, but the engineers wanted, like, their people, so 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 they wanted to help us out. So they wanted to keep us on. So um, so you would, so behind these radio racks, it's 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 kind of like behind your TV. There's a whole bunch of cords, and in order to organize the cords, they're all tied together with zip ties. So sometimes the engineers would have you go back and cut the zip ties and then zip tie them again, um, or 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 you would sweep the same spot for like for like three hours um, but occasionally you had to duck behind and, and like kind of like switch your spot like very subtly because of, because like a manager might walk by and see what you were sweeping the same spot they saw you sweeping an hour ago um, and I think the, the worst thing about it for me was the people that I worked with. Um, two in particular, there was this little cube of a man who uh, he... Um, I, I never actually saw him walk. He had this little... He, 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 had, like, he had like a little scooter thing that he rode around on. Um, but, I mean, and, and, I mean, I... He was just a dick. Um, he his job was to was to check power tools out to everyone. Um, because, yeah, because there weren't enough power tools for everyone. Um, so he would call all the temps contractor. Contractor. Um, so you would check out a tool and he would go, contractor, bring this back the way I'm giving it to you. And um, if, 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 if he was to roll by in his wheelchair and see that you would, like, put his power tool on the floor um, because you weren't using it, um, he would get very angry and he would come over and he would yell, like, contractor and swears and stuff. Um, so he was terrible. And then I also had a guy who started the same day I did. He always talked out of the side of his mouth. Um, that's what I remember about him. Um, also, whenever we would have breaks, um, I thought this part was going to be shocking, but then someone else talked about phone sex. Um, he would he would go and he would have he would just call the phone sex line for like ten minutes and just just outside. Like he wouldn't like manipulate himself or anything, but it was still gross. Um, and he was also probably the clearest memory I have of him is um, 
the lunch area, like everybody ate together. All the managers, all the all the engineers, everyone had the same lunch time. Um, so there were a lot of people that maybe you don't want to like swear around and things like that. Um, and I was always very cognizant of that, so I usually just put my head down and took a nap during lunch. Um, but he was not. He he was he was a very proud person. Um, so. Um, this group of guys that I was made to hang out with, they talked about internet porn a lot. Um, and this kind of came up every day at lunch. Um, and one day, leaning into the group in a, in a conspiratorial but very loud tone, he said, hey guys, yesterday I jerked off to porn while I was talking to my parents on the phone. Like, pretty cool dude, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, so, so I mean, those were the bad things about that job. But um, also, there was air conditioning, and I got paid really well. Um, and no one ever yelled at me or anything. Um, so really, it was just a really average job. It was a good benchmark job. Um, I feel like I didn't have anything to compare it to because I've I've been I've been yelled at a lot by people since, and, and unpleasant things have happened to me. But. Um, but I just feel like we should always value the jobs that we have that, um, that, that maybe in the moment they seem terrible. I mean, if, if you're, like, cleaning poop or something, then it is terrible. But, um, I mean, if, if, if you're working in, like, an air-conditioned place and just doing something boring, maybe it's not so bad. Um, thank you. Thank you, James. If you're just getting here, I know there's not a lot of space in here, but there is some. Feel free to come in. You can sit on the floor. I know it's not like the most ideal thing, but we're all friendly. We're not going to bite you. We're not going to poke you. Uh, so, like I said, James tells great stories. Um, I see some people left. It's totally their loss. We're going to have some great stories up next. Uh, right away, we've got my dad, who's going to tell a story. Hold on, hold on. He's going he, to tell a story about his time working for American Bovine Service. Here's David. American Bovine Service. Hey, how you doing? It's good to be here tonight. And uh, thanks, Adam. I don't know if you've ever had a job where you had spectators. I have had spectators on the job that I worked at, uh, at American Breeders Service. And uh, that was that's out in DeForest. Maybe if you've gone down by the... Uh, uh, on Highway 90, you've seen the sign about the different uh, bull kind of uh, expressions that are there. And um, we would have spectators. We would have FFA groups of high school kids come and walk through our barn where we were working with bulls. And we would have foreign uh, delegations coming through. And they would look at what we were doing in, in our barns. Do you know what we did in our barns? <laughs> we jacked off bulls. <laughs> really, that's what we did. And uh, as, a, as, a, as a guy, you know, the first day of work, I was in there trying to uh, kind of feel like what I am doing. And, and so we would have to uh, take the bull and we would uh, have it mount a mount animal, a steer of some kind, something that had been castrated. And so the, the bull would mount the steer and... Uh, uh, you would have three people working on the particular group.
grouping of animals, and you have three animals working at one time. And so we would uh, we would take care of these animals, and uh, one guy would be taking the, the steer and holding a nose pincher in it and keeping it still so the bull could mount it. And... <laughs> The other guy would be uh, taking a rope, and he had the nose of the bull, and he would be allowing it to be teased just enough so that it would get excited just enough to release just enough... Yes. Well, you know what, it, what he was released. And, and so we, that's what we would do. And then there was a third guy standing alongside the bull. And you would, as the bull mounted, you would reach in and pull his penis away from the mount animals so that he would not either break it or cornhole the, uh, the steer. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever seen a bull's penis. <laughs> but it is as long as a cane for a grown man. In fact, we had a guy at our workplace, whenever we would take a bull to slaughter, the vet would bring him back the penises so that he could make canes out of them. True. Absolutely true, swear to God. Roger had a freezer full of canes of bull penises. Two things, really quick. I haven't even told you about the AVs, the artificial vaginas. After you'd get the bull primed for ejaculation, the one of the head herdsmen would come out with this great big black tube, uh, which was an artificial vagina, and it had hot water in it. And as soon as the bull mounted, he'd slam it on the bull's penis, and the bull would ejaculate into it. And there you would have all sorts of availability for creating cows throughout America and Japan and Italy and all over the place. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was a great job. What was really interesting was watching the high school 4-H group come through. And they would be a mixture of girls and guys. And they would be elbowing each other and messing with each other as they went through. The worst, though, was we had this one guy who would come in in an overcoat. True. And we had this great big glass panel, of uh, a wall of glass panels, and we would be working bulls. We would be masturbating bulls throughout the day. And here would come in this guy, and he would watch us jack off bulls, and then he would quick run outside. And we know exactly what he was doing. And then he would come in again and watch us all over again. The worst job ever. Sounds like a pretty bad job. Uh, you got to understand, I've, I found that story particularly funny. My dad is a pastor. 
so to hear him say vagina and penis and ejaculate is pretty, pretty damn funny. Uh, yeah, artificial vagina. Um, so our next storyteller is Kelly Hofer. Is that how you say your name, Hofer? Give it up for Kelly Hofer. She's moving to Montana, so really make it special. I'm moving with a torn ACL, too, so I know. <laughs> so I had a job right out, like, during college. I did home health care, and my job was I went to senior centers, and I gave, gave pedicures to old people. You can only imagine. I had to wear safety go- like goggles because sometimes they'd hit me in the eye, go in my mouth, go in my hair. Um, so one day, my boss called me into her office, and she's like, can, can you clean someone's house for me? And I was like, okay, I can definitely do that. And she's like, this patient already went through, like, five other employees. You're, like, our last resort. And I was like, all right, what do I have to do? You just got to pack her up to get her to Germany because she's selling, like, a state there. I was like, all right. So I'm going over there and everything, and I'm. it's in a condo, a really nice condo. I'm about to knock on the door, and I hear screaming inside her place. And then her neighbor next door opens the door and looks at me, and you're like, are you going to save her? I was like, what's going on? So she's like, can you, can you fix this issue? And I was like, I don't know. So I opened the door, and she was a hoarder. And stuff up to the ceiling. So I get in there, and I meet her. And she used to be a psychologist, and then she went schizo. So it was was so much fun. So I was like, where are we going to pack you? There's nowhere to pack. So we had to go on our balcony. And because her whole entire house, like, was just cluttered. Food everywhere. And every time I would go over there, I had to do this for a couple of weeks. I would try to throw stuff away. But she'd know. She knew. So one day I went over there and... I thought I was on good terms with her, and I'm packing her stuff, and this went on for, like, weeks on weeks, just trying to, little by little, trying to pack up her stuff. Well, she got fed up with me, and she took her cane and just started whacking me, (laughs) wailing on me, just smacking me in the head. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. So we're on the balcony, and I have to crawl over all this stuff to get to the exit. I'm freaking out because there's nowhere to go. And so next thing I know, she starts throwing stuff at me. Then she picks up a bucket, and inside that bucket, there was um, human excrement. Yeah, that got tossed at me. So I started dodging, and then in my midst of, like, hatred, I started grabbing shit. I'm like, I'm going to throw this out. Like, I'm, I'm going to grab as much as I can. I'm going to throw this shit out. So I just start grabbing stuff, and I'm throwing it in the hallway because I'm by the exit. And she's screaming at me, and I'm just, like, thinking, screw you. No, I'm not taking this anymore. And so I, I grab a bunch of garbage bags, and I just start throwing stuff in there. And she's hitting me with her cane and throwing dirty diapers at me. And I'm just like, no. 
So at this point, I'm kind of freaking out. So I grab all the trash that I took, and I start running down the hallway. And then I see an exit because she's following me. And I take a stairwell. I don't know where it's going, but I'm getting out with her garbage. And so I run down the stairwell. And she, I hear her coming after me. <laughs> I just keep on going with her like, you can't throw that away. I was like, going to. Just like taking that garbage. And I made it to freedom outside. And in my midst of hatred, I threw the bags into the garbage. And I threw my car keys and my phone in there. And it's raining. And it's one of those industrial dumpsters. So at this point, I already have piss and shit on me, so it doesn't really matter. So I had to jump in the dumpster, search for my keys, found my cell phone, called my boss crying, saying, I'm never going over there again. That's it. (laughs) Thank you, Kelly. Uh, all right. Our next storyteller is a guy I've known since kindergarten. His name is Dan McHugh. Give it up for him. Thank you. So I haven't had any super terrible jobs, but I was involved in the food service industry for a bit. And even if it's not terrible, there's only so good of a job that you can get in the food service industry. So this story revolves around one of my friends while I was working at a specific fast food restaurant. His name was Casey. Culver's. (laughs) It was Culver's. (laughs) And um, Culver's had a very strange mix of employees. It was, if I had to guesstimate, it was probably about uh, 50% kids from a specific Christian high school and middle school, such as myself, Abundant Life Christian, and the other 50% was made up of, like, stoners from, and I don't want to generalize from public schools, public schools are fine, but these people were legitimately stoners from La Follette, and... (laughs) 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 And, uh... Casey was my favorite stoner. He was just... I mean, we were all awkward teenagers, um, but he specifically was just like a tall, gangly mess. Like, he was just six foot two and just completely skinny because he just hadn't grown into his body yet. And I was like a, you know, like a five foot eight kind of awkward. And I was just as awkward, but, like, to put it in perspective, on this particular day, I... Like, you run out with Culver's, you got these numbers, and you give them to cars, and then they wait for their foods. When they get their food, they take their number. And um, the guy who's on a- after me, actually, Dave, uh, his sister came through the drive through And I was already, like, kind of embarrassed, like, working at a fast food restaurant. And I gave her her number, and it was, like, one of my first days. So I was, like, still kind of, like, nervous, wasn't really comfortable working there, letting people see me in my, like, my Culver's best, like, tie and, like, shirt and everything. And so I gave her food, but I forgot to take the number. And since it was, like, my first week, I thought that was this huge deal. Like, oh, my God, I lost this plastic number. Like, probably cost him, like, 10 cents to actually make, but I lost the number. So I went, like, running after the car. I'm like, no, wait! (laughs) 
and she like stopped and she was just like, "What's going on?" And, like I, I I forgot the number. And, <laughs> and she was like trying not to laugh at me, and I took my number and just like went with my tail in between my legs just for one pack into Culver's. But anyways, this isn't about me really. It's about Casey and Casey on this particular day. Um, being the stoner that he is, like he he was, you know, he was he was normal the first morning. He's always like kind of joking around, um, pretty hyper. But he came through from after one of his food deliveries to the drive-through, looking a bit more relaxed than usual. And I was like, hey hey man, what's up? And he's like, my friend just gave me a hit when she went through the drive-through. <laughs> It's like, that's fantastic, Casey. <laughs> I'm really excited to see where this is going. Fast food like industry is not super exciting, so you'll take whatever entertainment you can get. And Casey, while already entertaining, I could only imagine how much better it was going to be while he was smoking pot. So... <laughs> so he was he was actually pretty functional because I mean he he was probably stoned like you know sixty percent of his life so he learned to be functional but he was uh, taking orders from the drive through and uh, this woman asked for coffee and he's like all right you want cream with that and and she's like no I don't want any cream with that and like a little snappy but whatever he was like laughing to himself and stuff so. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, she ordered some other things, and he ended up delivering her order through the drive-thru. And, uh, like, five minutes later, she came, like, through the lobby and, like, came up to me. And it's like, is this someone's idea of a joke? And she, like, put the this bag of um, uh, that was included with her meal, and it was just, like, filled to the top with creamer. Just... <laughs> And I looked over at Casey, and he was just losing it in the drive-through window. <laughs> and I was like, "I, I have, I have no idea, ma'am. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry." <laughs> and and, and I, I was trying not to laugh because I knew what Casey was up like in the state he was. And <laughs> so I, I turned around and. I got rid of the creamer from, I don't know, there there was, like, nothing else in the bag. I don't know why she brought it back. Just take the creamer, throw it away. But apparently that was, like, an offense so great she had to bring it to the lobby. But <laughs> so, so I got rid of her creamer. I was able to convince her that it was all just an honest misunderstanding, and we thought that she asked for, like, 20 cups of creamer. <laughs> And then she left, and uh, Casey never got in trouble for it, so I was pretty happy. And that was that's my story. Cool. Thank you, Dan. Okay, uh, if you've heard our next storyteller, you know what you're in for. If you haven't heard our next storyteller, you're in for a treat. Everyone, put your hands together for Dave Babbler. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Is this too loud? Is this good? Where are we at here? Is this good? Awesome. All right, well, I'm going to start with a couple questions. First one, how many people in this room... Forward. Forward. How many people in this room have ever been a waitress or a waiter? Okay, keep your hands up. Anyone been served by a waitress or a waiter? Okay, okay, okay. 
literally everyone in this room can relate to this story. <laughs> There's no reason everyone shouldn't be laughing about it. The end of this. I'm just being honest. Everyone should just be enthralled with everything that I have to say. So if I see you and you're not smiling at the very least, we got beef. We got beef. So as you can tell, my worst job <laughs> as a waiter... Um, I've had plenty of them, you know, typical jobs that you go through to get through school. You know, you go to retail, you know, you work for your dad. What a drag. It's the worst. You do that, you do retail, you do serving. But serving, ah, just just by far the worst job that I've ever had. I'm, I'm going to tell you why. As I was thinking about this job that was clearly the worst that I've ever had, I kind of paralleled it with speed dating. I know. Literally probably three people in this room have ever speed dated. You're like, Dave, have you heard of Tinder? Jeez. <laughs> For real, I associate it with speed dating. <laughs> And let me tell you why. So a typical night for me, I get into work dreading my hum- like my existence. Like, why am I honestly here? Like, this is the worst thing in the freaking world. I, get, I fix my apron and you know I, I, I tuck in my book and I, I look at the menu like, yeah, okay, I get it. <laughs> and then I approach my first table. And I would say this is similar to speed dating in that when you approach that first table, you're approaching it the exact same way. Both of you have this really fake smile on your face. You're both super excited to meet this person that you have no idea who they are, but you're just, for whatever reason, you're like super excited to see them. And nobody ever thinks about that. So I'm approaching this table with a smile on my face, just like, welcome to the restaurant. And, and then you're trying to like, you, it's like this performance. And so with speed dating, you approach the table the same way. You're like, I need to put on my best face and stroll over to the table. This is a performance. So you get to the table and you start talking to them and it's a series of these back and forth questions, listening and responding. Oh, oh, oh so so you, you want kids someday. That's great. Um, oh, you love to travel. I love traveling. Okay, um, mashed potatoes or sweet potato fries for the side. It's the exact same thing. Because you ask these questions, you start figuring out more, and then you it's just a series of question and answers trying to figure out what it really is that they want. Because you could care less, but you just want to find that perfect thing. And at the end of the day, the goal is to get lucky. So as a server, you come in there, and you're like, man, I just want that money. And the other person's like, man, I just want to get married. I just want to have that special someone. <laughs> You're both coming in there from the same perspective. It's a question and answer to get lucky. Different kinds of lucky. Yeah, I get that. But through this course of asking questions, I would very frequently come up and ask the question, can I get you something to drink? And here's where we find out a lot about the person, because I'm going to tell you guys right now, the struggle, the Cola War struggle is real. Pepsi and Coke is just a division. It's the same. Democrat, conservative, white and gold, blue and black. It's a division. It is real. I'm telling you. So you come up there and you're like, basically they say, can I get you a drink? Yeah, I'll have a Pepsi. Conservative. Typical. But then you always have that one guy that comes up. Hey, do you guys have RC Core? What are you, Liberty? It's ridiculous. And you find out so much about who this person is based on what kind of beverage they order. 
And it's the same thing with speed dating. You come in there and you're like, oh, I know you. I've seen this kind of person before. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Great. But you still have that fake smile on your face. Like you're enjoying it. Like this is the best thing you've ever experienced in your entire life. Clearly not. The worst thing you've ever experienced in your entire life is that moment. All that. <laughs> Just to set the base for my story. <laughs> So I was a server. <laughs> One night I come in, and uh, I'm the closer, which means I'm the last person there. So worst job in the world, worst shift in the world. <laughs> and I get in there, and someone says, hey, Dave, you got sat. No, uh, we close in five minutes. No, uh, uh, um, no Dave, you got sat. Uh, you, you see, you understand. <laughs> we close in five minutes. <laughs> Steve, you got sad. So I go out there and I look at this table just with just like the worst gut feeling in my stomach like this is going to be the end of my life. And I approach the table with that same smile. And there sits Ron Dane. Yeah. The UW has been, the NFL never was. That guy. But, but, but you typically, as far as celebrities go when I'm serving food, that's like the grade A. That's like the premium choice cut beef. That's it right there. So I get up there and I'm like, all right, I guess it's not going to be the worst thing in the world. At least maybe I'll get lucky. For those of you who don't recall, that means receiving money for my performance. So that smile suddenly gets bigger. And everything gets exaggerated. I get up to the table. Hi, guys. Welcome to this restaurant. How are we all doing tonight? <laughs> oh, man, that weather. <laughs> because it's just a performance. That's all it is. You want them to get excited about the reason you're there, even though it's 100% fake. So I put on this performance. I take the drink orders. I take the food orders. And I go back there. And I put in the food orders. Time goes by. I'm not going to bore you with the details. Food comes up, and I'm just like ready to get out of here, go home, and get a drink. Because at the end of speed dating, once you don't get lucky, you get a drink. <laughs> Same goes for serving. You don't get lucky. You don't get that money. It was like, man, let's go, let's go get a drink. <laughs> that just happens. So I'm looking forward to that moment. I get the food, and they're like, oh, no, there's one more meal coming. I'm like, screw it. I'm just getting this food out there. I'm like, so I pick it up. I pick up the server's tray, and I'm approaching this table thinking, man, I'm almost there. The finish line's right there. I can smell the food. They just need to eat, and I need to leave. And I walk around the corner. Elbow hits the side of one of the booths. Time freezes. <laughs> And all this food is poured out over the restaurant. Super awkward. Because they're the only person in the restaurant. And I'm just like this one guy walking out there like... No, that didn't work. I tried. <laughs> and at this point, it's too late. You're not getting lucky. Yeah, that's Ron Dane. So I just... And he's an entire family, of course. And he's brought it to you guys. It was his girlfriend's birthday. And they all, this table of kids, and they're just enjoying, oh, it's their birthday presents. And here comes Dave. And nothing... So I literally stare at them and just turn around. Away. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even like go talk. I'm like, hey, 
funny thing happened <laughs> because they know what happens. They saw everything that happened. They just all in front of him as his performance. So I go back and I, and I explain the thing to my manager, and he makes me go out there and talk to them. So I go out there. And at this point, I haven't acknowledged that it's Ron Dane. I'm like, hey, you're Ron Dane, aren't you? Will you sign this bloom? I never said that. Oh, hint. <laughs> um, but I came back out there, and I said, I kind of spilled your food. <laughs> and they all look at me, and you guys, there's n- I've never seen the most disappointed face in the entire world than these three kids that are sitting there. And Dane that's just like... And his wife, it was his birthday, and they all give me this look, and you guys, my heart sinks, and I just feel so guilty. And I said, here's the gift card to come back <laughs> so that we can spill your food again. <laughs> and they, and, and unfortunately, we had to make them pay for the drinks because they order an extraordinary amount of drinks. And I come back out. <laughs> She's laughing at this. So I, I come back, and, they, and I give them the check, and they pay for it. <laughs> And I have to give him a pen, and I'm looking for my pen. I don't have a pen. You guys, I'm the pen guy. I'm the guy that never has a pen. I'm the guy that comes with an associated pay- bank pen. I'm the guy that comes with the Johnson Family Chiropractic pen. I'm not the guy that comes stocked with a fully loaded pen because I'm a bad server. I deserve this moment. It was the worst moment of my life that I 100% deserved to experience because I am the pen guy. So I go, give him the gift card, pay for the drinks. They go out to their car. And I go back in the kitchen closing up and I just get this extreme moment of consciousness where I say, I need to apologize. So they're all getting in their car and I come out the front door of the building. No, no, yeah. And I sprint out and the kids are like, get in the car. Get in the car. He's coming. And I get out there and they're rolling up the window. I promise you this happens. I put my hand in the window and I said, I'm sorry. Redemption is that of Dave Babbler. The story is that of the food that got spilled on the e- on the day of his girlfriend's birthday. Thank you for telling the story. Thank you, Dave. Good Lord. All right. So, uh, our next storyteller, uh, I know your last name is Carlisle. Was it Nicole Carlisle, right? Nicole? Everyone give it up for Nicole! Hello, everyone. Um, Before I tell my story, I'm going to make an observation. That is that a disturbing proportion of the stories tonight have come from people in the human services field. So, if you're thinking that working with people, helping people out, really nice, lovely, good job to have, you're fucking wrong. So, find something else to do other than serving, obviously, because we know that one sucks, too. Um... The story I'm going to tell is from my time in the human service field. I'm still in the human service field, so obviously um, I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, I'm a social worker in a middle school. Um, And if you guys remember middle school, it's terrible. Um, Nothing has changed except now there's social media, so it's kind of extra terrible. Um, Your hint is that kind of the highlight of my year has been this kid that I work with. Um, has a host of developmental disabilities, Tourette's, and a seizure disorder. And he comes in my office, other than asking really hilarious questions to the Magic 8-Ball. Today he asked the Magic 8-Ball if he and I were in love with one another. <laughs> it said yes, and I said, sometimes it's wrong. <laughs> I'm a little old for you, because you're 12. Um, 
fresh air. <laughs> but the highlight of my year has been this kid that I just mentioned um, coming to my office and said, do you smell something? And I was like, I don't really smell anything. <laughs> and he says, I think I farted. <laughs> so an accidental fart has been the highlight of my year. Um, so that's what you're going to get into if you do human services. Um, also, awkward masturbation. So that's what my next story is about. I worked for several years, about four years 20 hours a week with a young man, two years younger than me, about 24 at the time, who had autism. Uh, he had a twin brother, identical twin brother, who also had autism, who lived down the street and would come by and they would do things like watch cartoons, which was really funny. Um, he had an apartment where there was a staff room upstairs because he would get a little weird if you were just hanging out with him and he would say, go away, you know, and then he would do things like break your car windows or your glasses if you were unfortunate enough to have uh, sight difficulties, which luckily I don't, so that didn't happen to me ever. Um, but I was at his house one time, sitting upstairs, you know, just kind of hanging out, waiting to make dinner for him. His brother was over. We'll call him Sam and Steve because of confidentiality. So if you ever need to talk to someone about your problems, I can't tell anyone, so I'm pretty safe. Um, so Sam and Steven. Sam, we'll say, was the brother that I worked with. Steven lived with his mom down the street. Um... Steven was over. They were hanging out, watching cartoons, and all of a sudden I hear, wait, 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 wait. And I was like, wait, that's weird. Um, Tom and Jerry, kind of a weird sound for that. Um, so I look over, you know, they had like an open staircase, right? I was upstairs. I peek over the staircase and I see Steven um, waxing his carrot, I guess if you want to call that. He was jerking off and he's 24. He's sitting on the couch next to his brother. Both of them are adults and he's just jerking off. And I'm like, what are you doing? And his, uh, his response is to say, Stop looking at me! <laughs> like, well, you're on the couch next to your brother, jerking off. It kind of draws a certain amount of attention, so I'm probably going to notice. Um, and I didn't want to shame him because, as we all know, masturbation is perfectly acceptable. So I said, if you're going to do that, you should go in the bathroom or you should go home. To which he responded, quit looking at me! And I was like, okay, um, stop what you're doing. I'll just go away now. <laughs> Retreat back to my corner. Um, and, you know, time went by and I didn't hear anything happening. And, and then I hear squeak, 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 squeak again. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> I peeked down again and there's uh, Stephen, I think that's what I was calling him, uh, uh, participating in some um, solitary games again. And I said, um, I already told you, you know, if you wanted to do that, you should go in the bathroom or you should go home. Um, and to which he replied, stop looking at me. And I was like, you know, in all of my uh, professional capacity, it was like, I'm going to call your mom if you don't stop. Because um, what else are you going to do? Huh? And um, so, you know, he kind of, I was like, no, you need to zip your pants up because obviously we need some preventative measures because just my warning wasn't sufficient. Um, 
long story short, I caught him doing it a third time. And I was like, you need to go home. And he was like, I'm going to hit you. And I was like, no, you're not going to hit me because... No. Um, and he left, which was nice. And I, you know, it felt like I should talk to his brother about it. And I sat down and I was like, Sam, you know, um, what your brother was doing, I was like, that was really inappropriate, um, you know, to be doing in front of other people. Like, that's something you do in private. And he's like, this was very distracting, shifty eyes. He called me shifty eyes because he liked me. And it was really silly when you did shifty eyes. So he called me shifty eyes. Anyway, um, he was like, shifty eyes, which was very distracting. And I was like, no, yeah, it might have been distracting. I was like, it's also kind of disgusting. Um, so if he does it again, tell someone. He's like, it was very distracting. I was trying to watch Superman shifty eyes, and it was very distracting. I could see what he was doing. And I was like, the point is not coming across. Um, it's not just distracting. It's also kind of disgusting. And he never could really see that. Um, so I kind of gave up that fight. <laughs> and I was like, yes, very distracting. If he does it again, make sure you tell me that your brother's distracting you from your cartoons. Because obviously that's the bigger problem here. Not that he's masturbating in front of you and me on your couch while watching cartoons. Which is kind of creepy. Um, so, uh, long story short, that was just one day at work. Um, I will say, not my worst job ever, but if you're going into human services, you will sometimes have uh, interesting days. Not necessarily bad ones, but interesting ones that might involve awkward masturbation or accidental flatulence. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and that hearing about these bad jobs or worse jobs have made you really appreciate the job that you have. Maybe sitting at a desk all day and staring into a blank computer screen while you contemplate the meaninglessness of your life isn't so bad after all. Hey, next month we'll be at the Wilmar Center again, but this time we'll be in the upper room where there's much more room. Our theme will be childhood memories, so bring your best story about your worst time as a child or your best time or that time that Jimmy punched you. Uh, it's bring your own beer and food. We will also have some available for you, and we'll be doing a door prize again. See you then.